Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Woke Bros. I'm Michael Jamal Aziz Shabazz Brooks, joined as always by my friend, compatriot, collaborator, comrade, Big Waz, Wazdi Lambre, and of course, steering the ship, Mr. Roberto Lopez. Rob, how you doing? How's everything going? How's your health? I'm alive, man. Happy to be here. Okay, good. Uh, Everybody, we have another jam-packed show for you. As always, we're going to get right to it. We'll just say up top to... Leave us a review on iTunes on the bomb feed and spread the word. Uh, we have a loyal core, and it's time to unleash it uh, to the masses. So great way of doing that is leaving us a rating and review. And then, of course, we're going to tell you about all the ways that you can connect with all of our shows and Patreon and everything else, as well as get your tickets to the TMBS Chicago Live Show August 24th. But let's get to the stories of the day. And we're going to start with Brazil, which we've talked about on this show. And obviously, if you follow my work, you know that I've done a lot of talking about the political imprisonment of Lula de Silva, the former Brazilian president who lifted tens of millions of people out of poverty. Uh, what always just seemed kind of obvious to me just from looking at it, that the prosecutor, the investigation team that put him in jail was – embarrassingly, actually really disturbingly right-wing and biased that the lead prosecutor, the judge in the case, Judge Sergio Moro, uh, became the Bolsonaro government's justice minister after 
keeping Lula off the ballot, even though Lula was the lead candidate by double digits, a whole bunch of other stuff. We know all of this. I've said it millions of times. And what happened uh, this past weekend was that The Intercept has gotten its hands on thousands and thousands of pages of documents, which spell out exactly that this happened, that the team that put Lula in jail was lying to the public when they said they were impartial. They were actively trying to undermine Lula and the Workers' Party. They themselves admitted that the specific case, one of them, uh, the lead prosecutor said in an email that the, the, lead, the case against Lula that they actually put him in jail for silenced him. He's still in cop solitary confinement with. It was a weak case. Um, and there's also revelations just dropping minutes ago in Portuguese that implicates so far at least one member of the Brazilian Supreme Court in this political imprisoning and corrupt process. So ton to get to. Also, I think just another good lesson about the real importance of this stuff in an era when, you know, uh, police raided the Australian public broadcaster for, you know, exposing human rights abuses by the Australian military when setting aside anything you think about Julian Assange, the specific charges against him for espionage, for doing uh, journalism back in 2011 with Chelsea Manning. A story like this cannot exist without an actual free press. And this is also how we learn, uh, you know, how things actually really work and what's really going on. So, you know, shocking, but not at all surprising, really important. Bernie Sanders is demanding Lula be free and, there's a ton more, but I'm going to stop and throw to Waz. Yeah, so many, so much of this stuff fascinates me. This particular story, not just Lula as a symbol for left, like leftists and um, progressivism and liberalism. Uh, just me and Jade had a protracted argument on text recently. Um, and he basically was like, you know, there's no real difference between, say, the U.S. government and the Russian regime, the Soviet regime, in the sense that our government is now run by the the corporate class, right? Like, they're, they're the ones who set the agenda. They make all the rules. Like, everybody else is just a bunch of puppets. And I pushed back and I was like, I don't think the U.S. government works exactly as, say, Soviet Russian. And this is a prime example of that, right? Like, we don't have political prisoners, right? Like, Hillary Clinton, after she loses, or say, Barack, after he's done, and in eight, in um another five years, I guess, no, he could actually come in and with in this election and run for president, seeing as it's not a Democrat in office. But let's just say he wanted to do that, um, Twice elected Donald Trump couldn't put him in prison for it, right? And some might say, oh, well, it doesn't matter because the Democrats and Republicans are secretly in lockstep with everything. Although I would vehemently disagree with that. It's just political prisoners is just not something that you see, right? Like you think of Nelson Mandela. Some people might think of the Shah in Iran, right? Like you you don't – you these things just don't tend to happen in – um democratic republics right and so for a guy who's this hugely popular amongst the actual citizenry of brazil the actual brazilian population to be put in prison on essentially trumped up charges even if you say that he did do this 
it's trumped up and it was a show trial and it was he didn't have his proper day in court um for it to come out that it's just like completely false right like or that these guys were all colluding with each other for the express reason of he might affect the next election if he's allowed to be a free man. Yeah, I mean that was yeah, totally. Like it's like that like explicitly it's it's said like this guy we got to silence him because he will um you know affect the outcomes. It, it, it's incredible to me. Yeah, I mean, I have like just three quick thoughts on that. And one is sort of like, you know, I, I disagree with both Jade and you, right? Because on one end, I do think, you know, I like I think Chelsea Manning keeps getting put in and out of prison. I would consider her to be a form of a political prisoner, right? She whistle blew on uh, basically the United States killing civilians in Iraq and Afghanistan, and she's been punished, you know, Uh in a really significant way. Um, and then, you know, and so, and I do think our demise, and obviously I think, you know, Edward Snowden uh, and, and again, charges related to what Julian Assange did with Chelsea Manning, which are what all those charges are about. People really right. need to remember that are a fundamental threat to the free press. Um, so that, you know, so I'm like of this, you know, it's like, I, I hear where like the jades of the world are coming from because I do think that we do obviously have a corporate class. You know, I wouldn't define it that way. I mean, I really think it's it's capital, um, yeah. you know, dominates this country. We know that there's a two-tiered just, I mean, even more simply outside of political prisoners or whatever. I mean, we, we know that, you know, Wall Street bankers committed any number of criminal acts, yep. you know, cost uh, destroyed so much wealth and livelihood and well-being. And we also know that then, you know, other people could, you know, get, uh, you know, if it's a third strike, a life sentence or, you know, just even, you know, be in jail serving huge sentences for either things that shouldn't be crimes like, you know, marijuana or whatever, whatever, whatever. Now, on the flip side, where I agree with you is, you know, it, there's a title of a, I haven't read it, but it's a great title. There's this new book out, something like we don't have a democracy and we'll miss it when it's gone. Which I think is like the perfect description, <laughs> you know. Like I think that's exactly right. Like it ain't over it yet, no, but it's not it what it was meant. To, it's not functioning in the way that it was meant to be. Right. We live in it. We live in an oligarchy. We live, and you know, even just now, the Trump administration—they're pushing to give twenty-year sentences for people protesting oil pipelines. Like, no, we're absolutely not in democracy. And then on the other hand, of course. You know, I said this on my show the other day. We were talking with Milton Alamadi about China and Africa and, you know, the new game, the imperial game between the United States and China and Africa and the relative, you know, and basically they're both doing a lot of harm. But I was saying, you know, one thing on the flip side in the U.S.'s favor, it's like, look, there's no Chinese equivalent to us sitting in this studio <laughs> trashing no. Chinese foreign policy in China. And if people aren't real about that, then they're being just delusional. And that leads – actually, there was one other point I'll get to later, but I just want to say on the that actually leads me to the other thing, which is like what's crazy about what's happened to Lula in Brazil. And I just – by the way, I'll just say like I think you know, Glenn and I had a little disagreements about this. Like the dude is in – Innocent and a political prisoner, as far as I'm concerned, like full stop. Sure. But but 
In, in I think what Glenn like, said is not that he said, I don't know if he's innocent, but he's not guilty <laughs> as no, far as I can absolutely, see. Absolutely. Well, I think it also leads to like a bigger conversation about, you know, corruption and what is and isn't actual corruption. But the point I just wanted to make for this related to what you and Jade said, and this is where I actually get firmly on your side now is like, what's crazy to me is that what's actually happened in Brazil is a Lula literally had happened to him and is happening to him. What Trump is always whining and lying about happening to him. There was collusion. There was a conspiracy spelled out between the political and judicial establishment to make him a political prisoner and block him from being president. And he would have won. That happened. And on the flip side, look, I mean, if we keep degrading what we're doing back to that book title, Donald Trump does say he wants to put Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama in jail every Facts. five seconds. Facts. Um, as you know, he, I mean, he started the lock her up thing, which was, you know, a rallying cry at his little pep rallies. But, you know, it's that's a that's serious implications. Right. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about how people from the World War Two generation are dying out. Like there's no living memory of what it felt like to live under that, right? Or what it meant to go over there and have to fight over that, over yeah. fascism, right? Over dictatorships sweeping Europe. Um, there's no living memory of that. So people don't take it as serious, like the idea that you would just jail a political opponent just for the sake of it, just because they threatened you electorally, right? right. Um, people, there's no living memory of this happening in what we would call the Western world. So people have... It feels like they've kind of forgotten about it. Yeah, definitely. And they don't. And the lack of historical awareness is a huge problem. I mean, the only other thing I want to say, and it's and it's actually funny because in some ways it's another parallel with the United States. I just said, like, I want to say like, right out of the gate, like, look, you know, I'm sorry, like Hillary Clinton and even, frankly, President Obama, they are not Lula. Like what Lula did for his country. No, if it was done here would I mean you know, would mean that this is like it's the most like successful level president. Of FDR. Yeah, this is more, exactly. You compare Lula to somebody, exactly, somebody like FDR. I mean, this guy lifted literally, I mean, I keep repeating it because I feel like if people, if you really sat down and you said, wait a second, in 2002, this man became president. And then, you know, several years or a couple years later, you're from not having one meal, maybe less a day in total in food insecurity. And then you have three meals a day and maybe you've been able to buy a modest house for yourself. Like right. that is such a radical, incredible good. But I think the thing that I would say that, you know, to me is a comparison in the sense that, you know, even if you found some other case, right? Like all of Brazilian politics, just like in some ways, all of us politics, although it's different, you know, it's definitely different. Like, you know, gym bags full of money and hit squads, you know, is different than lobbyists. But it's all at the end of the day, like, you know, political systems and capitalism is corruption. So I think, you know, this whole corruption thing is a real problem because, you know, if you just say like to the extent you could say somebody like Lula was, quote unquote, involved in corruption, it is absolutely not 
from any evidence. And I and, and best believe if these people had more evidence, they would have leaked it because they have no ethics whatsoever. Oh, you know what I'm saying? God. That they they um is that is is like to do a deal like one of the first like a scandal in Lula's first administration was that they had to pay off some of the smaller parties in the Brazilian parliament to get votes to pass things like labor protections, food programs, building hundreds of new universities, bills to get Afro-Brazilians in college. Do you know what I'm saying? The entire, Basically, the entire point of even having a government at all. Right. So to me, it's like you can't just say like people say, oh, oh corruption. And it's like, first of all, what you know, what are we talking about here? Right. Like nobody. Yeah. Look, if you steal state money and throw it in a Swiss bank account or you go and work for a pharmaceutical company. Yes, that's corruption. But doing a deal in the system you're in to help people, I would I mean, no, of course not. And and what we do see now is that across the world, it's the right wing, the fascists, the Trumps, the Bolsonaro's, these people who use that to their advantage. Like, oh, it's corrupt. You need a tough guy to clean it up. Of course, they're always the ones that are the most corrupt, the most authoritarian. And, you know, that's where I will say the reason I said I would never compare, you know, sorry, Clinton and Lula are just not in the same league. But even you saw that with Hillary Clinton. Like, I think there are some actual corruption stories around Hillary Clinton. But that being said, like, when you just talk about it in such a simplistic way, you have the most corrupt man in America, forget just politics, saying she's corrupt. She's corrupt. I'm going to clean the swamp, drain the swamp. And then nobody has any understanding of like what the fuck it is we're actually talking about. And that's another big lesson from this. You can't just say corruption. We have to say, what exactly do you mean specifically? Because even a lot of the stuff with Hillary Clinton was not like corruption, like it was like, yeah, there were with rich people and lobbyists all the time. That's corrupt. Yeah. That's different, actually, than the type of shit Trump was involved with, and it's totally different than what Lula no, made you, to move the ball forward. You know, no, what I'm you you can't compare um, like Hillary Clinton and those six figure speeches to Goldman is not the same as having foreign dignitaries stay at your hotel while you're president. Right. Like that's it's just not the same thing. Like I would call both of those things corruption and bullshit and should never happen. You know what I'm saying? In a um democratic republic, you know what I'm saying? In a representative democracy. But man, it's it's just on a different scale, bro. <laughs> like yeah. it's just different. Like the the quid pro quo is it's right. Like it the, the cash is coming directly to me as I sit in the White House. Like there's no comparison there. And you know, and the bottom line is the only two candidates in on the Democratic side who even speak to that are Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Like the only people who speak candidly and clearly um, about getting the money out of politics are those two candidates. And I know we sound like a broken record on this podcast every week, but like to my mind, they're the only two serious candidates. Like, I, the, 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 don't talk to me about Joe Biden, please. No, please. Stop. He's not an option, bro. And um, I think, and I told Mike this, I think like as the process gets longer and longer, I think he's going to get his ass whooped. 
I truly do. I think he's going to going to be embarrassed. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's just man, it, this this Brazil stuff is just incredible to me because this is happening on our side of the pond, right in our backyard in South America, um, to a guy who espouses all the ideals that. To be to, to be quite frankly, are like American ideals, right? Like fairness, uh, 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 fair days pay for, fair days work, like um, all of those things. Like this is collective bargaining, union protections. I mean, all this of is that stuff, like dignity and work, like all of that stuff is our American values, man. And to see him get locked up, a bunch of people rally behind him and um obviously the incredible work that's been done by Greenwall and them at the intercept it's 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 pretty heartening stuff this is not something that i expected to see i i did not expect this outcome mike so yeah i mean this is definitely another area where bernie just is you know he's just he's the best rob man i want to tell you a little something about this new product called molecule Molecule is a complete reinvention of the air purifier, not just an improvement on existing outdated technology. It was developed by a scientist whose son suffered from asthma. My mom actually suffers from asthma and my cousin Pat used to. I don't know. He might still be on that inhaler. What up, Pat? And who was frustrated by the fact HEPA air purifiers did not relieve his son's symptoms. As a result, Dr. Yogi Goswami spent 20 years developing a completely new, totally effective way of removing indoor air pollutants. Why molecule? Global air pollution is worsening at an ever-increasing rate. More than 80% of people living in urban areas that monitor air pollution are exposed to air quality that fails to meet the WHO recommendations. Worst news is that indoor air can be up to five times worse than outdoor air, according to the EPA. And most of us spend around 90% of our time indoors. Molecule makes a meaningful impact for asthma and allergy sufferers. In a study of 49 allergy sufferers presented at the American College of Asthma, Allergy, and Immunology, Molecule's technology provided dramatic, statistically significant, sustained system reduction within a week of use. The results have transformed lifelong allergy and asthma sufferers' lives. One customer even said she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Molecule's technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people. Molecule has already helped allergy and asthma sufferers around the country better cope with their conditions and significantly reduce their symptoms. Listeners of Bomb can get up to $75 off their first order. All they have to do is visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, that's Molecule.com, at checkout, enter B-O-M in you'll get $75 off your first order. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com. And at checkout, enter B-O-M for bomb to get $75 off your first order. Wise, we have another story that actually is, and some, I mean, it's some really powerful sound, but the story's fucked up. Right. Um, Congress has been jerking around 9-11 first responders with the 9-11 fund, which is money they basically use to pay for hospital bills to injuries and symptoms that they occurred because they were first responders and they just jumped into buildings to save the lives of strangers. Um, and they just been getting jerked around. And John Stewart <laughs> went to the Hill to talk to um, a couple of congressmen and he 
scolded them. He excoriated these people. And man, it, it, it was, I, I don't even know how to describe it, man. It was worse than a parent talking to their kid, dude. Like, this is just like, I'm not even mad at Like, I'm, this is America, dude. You are ignoring them. There is not a person here. There is not an empty chair on that stage that didn't tweet out, never forget the heroes of 9-11. Never forget their bravery. Never forget what they did, what they gave to this country. Well, here they are. They responded in five seconds. They did their jobs with courage, grace, tenacity, humility. 18 years later, do yours. Your indifference costs these men and women their most valuable commodity, time. It's the one thing they're running out of. And especially for 9-11, which anybody will tell you is, I mean, if my life is the single most important event, I don't like as far as influential, like as far as what shapes the current dichotomy of America, like the current paradigm, like there is no singular bigger event than 9-11. Um, God knows all the terrible things that's come out of it, whether it be the surveillance state, whether it be anti is um Islamophobia, you know, our willingness to just spend 20 years in a war in the Middle East, just all kinds of horrible things that have come out of that. Uh, the national debt going ridiculous. Like, it's, it's just so many things that were terrible to come out of that. And to think that, you know, one of the only inspiring uh positive things out of this is these heroes, these example of American, like an actual example of American exceptionalism, right? Like something that you could probably point to and be like, wow, those are fellow Americans who showed a certain level of merit, um, excuse me, metal, grit, you know, and to see that the richest government, the richest country in the history of the world is screwing them around on hospital bills, man. Holy crap, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, I mean, and they were just like the classic example, too, of and this goes right back to the beginning when the Bush administration lied about air safety, um, which impacted uh, their health significantly. Uh, you know, it's just also the classic example of like, let's put them out and, um, you know, parade them around. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and get benefits off of them, but then fuck them every step of the way. Um, yeah, I just think that, uh, you know, I just don't have any, um, other thing and nothing other, I'm totally disgusted and I'm absolutely not surprised. And I don't, and in this case, like, I feel like 99.9% .9 of the time, if you tell me whatever Republican travesty it is, whether it's, you know, like the ICE terrorism on migrants and refugees, or whether it's, you know, opening up for mountaintop removal or, you know, making it easier to poison the air and water or 
you know, deny people health insurance, you know, whatever it is, it's always like, oh, well, you know, there's there's uh, there's elections to be won or there's money to give to rich people. This one, I don't even really like. I'm sure there is some reason, but this one to me, it's like, wow, like just even the level of like the heat that you would take over this and will take over this, like, and such a, you know, let, I mean, it's just nothing. It's, it's, it doesn't, it's nothing. It's no money whatsoever from the federal uh, budget point of view, but yet somehow this is still a problem. I mean, it's just a reflection on just how, you know, just how grotesque these people are. Yeah. And it's one of those things watching Jon Stewart deliver the message in the sense that Jon Stewart, you could think whatever you want about him. I think he's a very effective communicator. I, I think that's something that like is universally understood and accepted, whether you love The Daily Show or not. Like the dude is great at communication. It's one of his gifts. Um and I think of an issue like, say, you know, the rigged economy or um, the problem with the oligarchs in our country and people like Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are some of the only people who it's like, obviously, yeah, you feel like you're not getting a fair shot. I can explain to you in very plain terms how and why that's happening. Right. Like right. that's kind of a more complicated sort of idea to hit at and to go from step one to step two to step three to tarp to whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like um, that that takes a certain level of communication skills to effectively, you know, relay that message. Paying for the medical bills of the heroes of 9-11, that, like, that is just not one of those things that Jon Stewart should have to go to Capitol Hill to explain to politicians. And, you know, whatever, the bill made it out of committee, is probably going to pass a vote, is most likely going to pass the vote in the House. And then inevitably, as most things in this damn country come down to, is going to come down to the whims of... One Mitch McConnell, who, you know, I've made I've argued many times on this show is the worst man in American politics. Like it's not Donald Trump. It's actually Mitch Mitch McConnell because he is so craven and he is so cynical and he is so effective. That's just the bottom line. Like he's you know, he's the most effective politician of the last, what, 10 years I don't even see how it's hard to argue. Like who's gotten more of their things through than Mitch McConnell? Um, yeah, the, you know, as ghastly and appalling as many of those efforts have been, the bottom line is he's been effective for his side. And, you know, this is going to come down to whether Mitch McConnell feels like not attaching this to some, you know, some other bill that he wants to get through for some of his cronies. Right. Like or if he wants like he won't just pass it straight up like. Why don't we just pay for these people to get health care, um, make sure that they're doing good because they accrued these injuries in the course of a battle um, for our country. So, you know, it's another one of those depressing things. Um, it's nice to see a celebrity put their, you know, their cachet and their actual skills to some good to help some people who absolutely deserve it. Uh, some of the images of those 9-11 heroes that were down there in D.C., like, you could tell they were, like, beyond fed up, you know, to in a lot of ways it's the picture of the country right now. Even the people who claim to love our, our president, a lot of those people are really hurting. 
So, you know, it's just a sad scene all around to see these, you know, these freaking feckless, just bootlicking dudes on Capitol Hill um, just sit there and be like, yeah, I, I guess you're right. We kind of are assholes. Yeah, I mean, disgusting, I think. And also, you know, really like obviously John Stewart was awesome, but you got to. Ooh, this is, you know, especially when you're dealing with Mitch McConnell, you got to just keep the heat up really high focusing on this because, you know, definitely, obviously never trust. I mean, you know, trust him to always do the morally wrong thing when it comes to legislating. So, you know, it's definitely far from over. People got to stay on this because it's really important. And, you know, some of the people that John Stewart, I mean, he did a show on The Daily Show years ago. Uh, we were talking about it and like, you know, several of the people up on stage with him that he brought out to exemplify this bill, uh, this this uh, fund because he's been working on it for a while. They've passed away in the time since then. So Sheesh. it's so disgusting because you're also basically taking people that they've had their health damaged so much through saving people's lives after a terrorist attack that they will basically like, you know, you're taking up time that they should be with their families and enjoying their life as they have it. Again, that's how disgusting these people are. So keep up the pressure. You started off with an apology to the LGBTQ community, but then you also said that you were involved and that you think YouTube made the right call. A lot of people don't really feel like that's an apology and are concerned that YouTube flags LGBT positive content just for being LGBT as sometimes, uh, you know, sensitive and yet slurs are allowed. And I'm curious, are you really sorry for anything to the LGBTQ community or are you just sorry that they were offended? This uh, YouTube uh, drama over the last couple of weeks, um, which, you know, have definitely revealed a lot of things uh, that I think have already been sort of obvious to us to, you know, to begin with. Basically, it started with Carlos Maza, who hosts um, videos for Vox, basically asking YouTube to do something about Steven Crowder, who really is, I mean... Even by the standards of just like the lowest depths of all this garbage, Steven Crowder is, you know, he's puerile, he's stupid, he's incredibly bigoted, he's like relentlessly unfunny. And I think, you know, I have credibility in terms of like being willing to acknowledge when even terrible people might have particular kinds of talents. I mean, Steven Crowder is the walking testament to the idea that, you know, if you're willing to be some horrible right wing, you know, entertainment personality, uh, you know, you have opportunity to find funding sources. And I think, you know, the bigger point with him, uh, you know, even outside of his harassment, you know, basically these kind of endless videos about Maza, which, you know, I, we can get to later. Is that, and I and I but I think like the really big structural problem is probably, you know, that he's definitely teaching uh, young people, and I really think like basically teenage boys, because his demo is very young, a huge amount of homophobia and transphobia. Also, I would, you know, definitely healthy dose of racism, 
and obviously all of the like, you know, oligarch propaganda. So, you know, he's disgusting. He's the worst. Um, and, you know, we know that. And basically YouTube finally responded to Maza and they did it in a typical Google way, you know, which is that they actually didn't really punish Crowder. The, I think that what they basically said was he sells these socialism is for fags t-shirts that he needs to remove the link or the videos will be demonetized. And then they went and swooped in and demonetized a whole bunch of channels and videos, including, um, you know, people doing really important journalism and so on, because of course, you know, they're, not about upholding any standards whatsoever. They're just about, you know, not getting into trouble and running a business. And they're dealing with the fact that YouTube's a huge engine of YouTube's growth has been these, you know, extreme far right subcultures like neo-Nazi channels and, and all these other things like on the alt-right and the intellectual dark web and all this bullshit. So I don't know. I just will say to me though, it, it just – and I know – and it pisses people off, but it just is what it is. Like one part of it is like, look, as far as YouTube goes, Carlos Mazas are absolutely right because if you look at the terms of service, it says basically that they will reserve the right to remove creators that go after people based on any category of their identity. And it's an extensive list. It's you know things that people would think of like race and gender and so on but even being like a veteran you know i mean it's very specific so he's a, totally within his rights and in that sense it's not a free speech issue quote unquote but i do think more broadly than that this really goes down to the fact that the reality is is that a huge amount of independent media and people's livelihoods are on these corporate platforms, and that's a fundamental danger to open society and journalism. And so you're going to need to break up these monopolies. In my in my opinion, I think turning them into public utilities. I think you know a company like Google needs to, at the very least, be significantly made public. Um, certainly Amazon. So to me, that's the bigger problem. And also, the last thing I'll say is, if you want to talk about solving it within Google, within YouTube itself, then you have to demand of YouTube. It's not going to solve the big problem. I think you got to break these companies up to solve the big problem. But if you want to like talk to a YouTube executive, tell them, say, look, you need to hire actual human beings to <laughs> aggregate this shit. Yeah, because they are doing machines that are going to demonetize any type of video that and, you know, that could involve any kind of controversy. One video that has a footage of Hitler in it to explain the history of how Nazism rose and then the next who's actually promoting Nazism. And then, you know, the final thing is like I think that it's an argument in general of, you know, how tight do we draw the line? And while I am definitely not like an absolutist, I do think there's such a thing as hate speech. I'm probably closer philosophically to people who are like, you know, you you just got to let most of it go and try yeah. to beat it. Yeah. And I mean, because honestly, I thought about Facebook banning Farrakhan the other day because, right. you know, he's seen as an anti-Semitic figure um, in the public sphere. Uh, I don't know how you actually like, 
to me, it's gotten way too far at this point, especially with something like YouTube and their algorithm, which for them, it's like, look, we want to keep users on the site. So we're going to f- keep feeding them um, the videos that keep them there. Like we want it on an endless loop. We want to keep them watching these videos so we could keep showing them advertisements, right? Like that's the beginning and the end of it. They never, ever... And that's all of these tech companies across the board. They never, ever think what the downside to that might be, ever. And then we get to the point where we are now, where now they're going back and trying to retrofit and retroactively make things better. And, and honestly, Mike, I'm kind of with you. Like this, the, free, the free speech argument is one that I'm a bit sympathetic to, specifically because, you know, um, you got to meet people where they live, where they live. Right. If YouTube is where all the users are and all the eyeballs are, people like you and I and other people in independent media, like they have to go to YouTube. And the idea that YouTube is now now becomes the arbiter of, you know, what's right and what's wrong. I I think that can become a slippery slope. Uh, I don't really buy that. But at the same time, I don't really buy the argument that they're stifling free speech. I don't think YouTube is the public square. Uh, YouTube is a private company. It's a private platform. It's not like going to the park, say, and, uh, you know, calling somebody. But I guess like functionally to me, it's like, yes, that's true. But if you like the react, like practically speaking, using the Internet and especially if you include Google, is Google like the Internet is clogged by four or five major monopolistic companies. Right. And if those companies are, you know, the prime mechanism by which people do everything, including making a living, do journalism, you know, to me, it just starts to become like totally like when people say it's a free speech issue, they're technically wrong because it's a private company. They could do whatever the hell they want. But substantively, they're right. Like the implications are for free speech because the reality is, is that's what everybody's on and navigating around. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, yo, I, I completely understand. And I think this is a tough, tough one to navigate. But the problem is I don't think these tech bros are actually going to try to help. Yeah, of um, course. They, like at every single turn, they've been like every single other capitalist that you know we've ever encountered in the history of this country. Yeah, like, obfuscate at every turn, pass the buck at every turn, lie about when you figured out what the deal was at every turn. Like they've operated like every single other capitalistic entity in the history of the United States of America. Right. So that's that's the thing. It's like, can we even trust YouTube? Can we task them with this job? Of course not. So we should make it public. That's what I'm saying. And and also not to be, you know, not to be a jerk, but like at the same time, part of me, the old school dude in me is like, you don't have to watch his video. Right. (laughs) Like that's that's part of it for me. It's like turn YouTube off. You know what I mean? Like that's part. Yeah. I mean, I, I have I have to be like, yeah, I had like it's I don't. You know, that's why I connected it to a bigger conversation about like, what are you like, as an example, training teenage boys to do? And if you connect that with like the murder of transgender people and so on, and the videos are relentless and they're disgusting. But yeah, I mean, I got to be honest, like, and I, and again, this, I know people don't like this, but it's like, I just, there is that part of me too, that is like, 
you know, you're in public, you're taking shots, you're getting shots. Absolutely. It's not the same thing when you make it about somebody's identity. I agree with that, but like, you know, yeah. I mean, it's Steven Crowder. He's a scumbag. He's like the lowest of the earth. So of course he's going to do that. He's professionally a bigot, right? Like in my opinion. So I, and so to me also, even like on a public relations level, like I'm a little bit like, okay, how does this play out? We know YouTube is going to mishandle it. Then we know that the right is going to do all of the same shit to left-wing videos and even like Vic Berger, who's a great video satirist, has gotten it pulled down. And now we know, of course, like what Vic Berger does and what Steven Crowder does are completely different. We know that, but YouTube's not going to understand that because they can't be trusted to handle this. Also, and they have to pour money into it, which is well, another... Like, precisely, they have to pour money into it. And, well, and they also have to deal with, you know, triangulating as a company, right? Like, yeah, they want to do pride flags and shit, but they also want to keep making money off of the alt-right content. Let's be real. So and- then... But then it's like – and then I also wonder to people outside of this like particular circles, like I do wonder if like – I don't think that that's a good look to make that be the move, right? And and then the other thing I'll just say really briefly, which is interesting to me because like, okay, there was that that New York Times piece which – uh, demonstrated some really interesting things about that young man who, you know, went through the YouTube rabbit hole and, you know, embraced all this disgusting politics and, you know, watched people like Dave Rubin and Crowder and Molyneux and Sam Harris and all of that. But he, you know, what actually got him out was turning on to left-wing channels and hearing different arguments. And it's funny because I'm not that dude who's just like, you know, have a conversation. But on the same time, it's like there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. Like I feel like there's a big picture problem, which is like these companies are a danger to the public because of the power they have and they need to be regulated. And that's the big picture problem. But on a relative level, a lot of the anecdotal evidence suggests that at least as far as getting people out of the trap like that young man in the Times article, it's going in and undermining all of this bullshit. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm watching this really close because it's kind of been what, like 20, uh, it's almost going to be 25 years of, of the internet relatively in the form that we know it right now. And we finally gotten to the point where it's like, all right, dude, they're, they're like policing, policing, policing this, you know, like they're actually applying laws to language and what you can see and what you can do in like a huge way on a massive scale. So I'm very interested to see how the rest of this plays out. Yeah, definitely. This is about, you know, the future of journalism, future of democracy, and also, you know, defeating bigotry and fascism in our time. So it's a big deal. Um, That's a wrap for us this week, guys. Leave a review on iTunes. Spread the word. We're very excited about the woke rose. And not enough people know. Like I noticed the other day um, there was a comment on a YouTube video uh, of me and Waz at the TMBS LA Live show on the Michael Brooks Show YouTube channel. And somebody was like – you guys are great together. You should do more. 
And I was like, dude, <laughs> right there. So make sure you're letting people know about it. They want it. Um, yes. Tell them about Chicago, Mike. Okay. So Chicago, there'll be links in the show notes. August 24th, TMBS hits the Midwest. We're over a third sold out now. So they're going fast relative to how far out we are from the show. We play games. We have audience questions. We have an incredibly fun time. We can't wait to come out there and meet everybody in Chicago. Get your tickets today. Also, I want to say uh, uh, yesterday we recorded a riveting episode of Black Opinions Matter with one Mark Lamont Hill, formerly of CNN, now of BET. He's got a morning show called Black Coffee. We had a spirited conversation on When They See Us, as well as the legacy of Tupac Shakur. Uh, It was a fun show. I think anybody who enjoys what we do here on Woke Bros will enjoy Mark Lamont because he has like this preacher man, Malcolm X almost. It's like a mix between Malcolm X and a Southern Baptist preacher cadence, but except he's talking about rap bars. (laughs) So I I, I was at dinner like three months ago, and I had just talked about Mark Lamont Hill on my show because he got in trouble for uh, talking about the Israeli occupation, right? Yep. And so there's this little restaurant that I go to on Tuesday nights after I do TMBS. And it's, you know, it's like a crazy night. So it's a crazy day. 10.30 at night, 11 o'clock, and this is back in the winter. So it's, you know, it's like there's some people out, but it's a Tuesday night. It's cold outside. And I was there with my friend, Mike Brasim, that I did the show with. And literally, Mark Lamont Hill walked into the restaurant, man. It was so weird. That's it awesome. was so bizarre. And so, and it was funny because I, you know, he, he, uh, it never, it never happened, but I was like, I just have to say, it was funny. I was talking to him on my show tonight. And then Mark, Mike was joking that I should have gone up to him and be like, dude, it's like, I didn't fucking know, but like, you're right. Like, fuck the Jews, bro. <laughs> No, 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 no. Like, no, dude, no, no, I thought no, no, no. that. He would have thought you was the Fed. He would have thought you was the Fed. Wild, bro. Oh, yeah, no. He would have been like, <laughs> I see your trick, devil. We should get him on this show sometime, man. Yeah, absolutely. He's a friend He's a friend of John Gervais. They're, they're, they're very close friends. They go way back in Philly, and, you know, apparently they're frat brothers and all of that. Um, but he's a good brother, so make sure y'all check that out. Of course, be checking out TMBS, man. See you guys next week. We're out of here.